welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Just a reminder, if you uh, have children kindergarten through sixth grade, fifth grade, excuse me, and they'd like to head down to our children's church time, uh, we would encourage you to either walk with them down there or they can head out with our children's workers where they'll have classes and lessons at their level. Also, I want to encourage you, if you want to raise your hand, if you did, <coughs> excuse me, if you did not get a copy of uh, the outline of the book of Matthew, there's also a spot in the back that you can uh, fill in some notes if you'd like to, write some notes down. But if you can get a copy of this or you just need another one from last week, if you raise your hand, the ushers will make sure that you get a copy of this. Anyone? Keep your hands up there and they'll make sure they make their way over to you. And I just want to remind you too, we still have some of our 10-year anniversary uh, bulletins in the back. Um, I like it, not only is it a great way just to thank God for what's done, but inside you see our ministry partners that are in there. And uh, we are still collecting. If you have a great is thy faithfulness story um, of how God's used UPCC to impact you, you can always fill those out, drop it in the box on the back wall or hand it to me or even drop it in the offering plate. And we would be happy to add that to the other ones. If you would like to, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, which was already read. You can turn in your Bibles that are in front of you, if you want to grab one of those, to page 1028. If you use the online one, U version, if you use that one, we have, uh, go down to events, uh, go down more and then events and uh, type in upper perk and the outline for the message is there as well. Last week... We ended chapter three where Jesus had been baptized. Spencer laid out for us that whole story and journey of what took place there and how this, this event was so powerful, not just of what took place and, and not what it showed to us, but also in the fact that this cool miracle that we got to see that the, you know, the dove came down and this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you can imagine being there and this like, wow, aha type, man, this really is Jesus. I would have thought that they would have kind of grasped that there and got excited about that, those that are around there. And something's going on here is John the Baptist has an opportunity to be able to be a part of that. And it would be really easy to go into chapter four because I've read it this way too often and kind of have this oh no concept. Oh no, now he's going into the wilderness, the temptation. Oh, man, this, this, is, this is like the dark time. And yet it really isn't considered or meant to be this dark time. It's meant to see an opportunity where Jesus shows to us some powerful things, that he's the conqueror. He doesn't go into this with this concept of other than the fleshly battles of trepidation because he knows the temptations that we face as mankind. And so as we look at this passage today, I hope that it'll be one that we don't get freaked out about it or say, oh no, what are these different things that are happening? But we can understand really what temptation is and also what testing is. And we can see the steps that Jesus went through as he dealt with this and also pull out some practical applications for our own life. So the question is, why was Christ tempted? I mean, why? What was the purpose behind this? Now, there's a big difference, by the way, between testing and temptation. Temptation is being 
uh, enticed or allured by sin. It's being enticed or allured by sin. It's to draw you away from Christ because it's this enticement and this allurement. Whereas testing is God trusting us to make the right choice in a situation. God does not tempt us, but he does test us. Temptation is trying to get us to sin, whereas testing is what helps us to become more Christ-like. Temptation comes from the evil one, and testing comes from God. And God did not tempt his son in this situation. He allowed the temptations to come to show to us a couple of things. First of all, Christ wanted to identify with us. Christ wanted to identify with us. He was man and he was God, which we'll never fully understand, but you're going to see here the testing of the humanity of him because you're going to see how the devil tries to constantly get him to use his divine powers, his divine authority, to usurp the temptations that were taking place and what he wanted to do to show the sympathy and the struggles that we are going to face and that he wanted to exemplify with us. But he also wanted to demonstrate his sinlessness. Christ went through all this, and it was another reminder again how as we go through temptation, you can conquer it. He does understand it, but that Christ did it and did it sinlessly. And that's the reason that Christ was tempted in this passage of Scripture here. Now, as we kind of walk through these verses, we're going to be dealing now with how do we deal with temptation? How do we deal with temptation? Know this, each day... The evil one is looking for ways to get Christians to stop following Christ and start following him. And any time we allow the flesh to control or dictate our decisions, we're giving in to the devil. And I love that we get to see here in a front row seat how Christ dealt with the temptations that were thrown at him. And the devil attacks Jesus in three ways, which you see over and over again in mankind and in the world. He attacks him through the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. And those are the ones he still uses today. So we already know the game plan. Now, if you watch any kind of professional sports, it's a big no-no to be able to steal the way the other team's plays are ran, the way that they coach their team, the the secret codes and how they do theirs. That's uh, against the rules. We get an opportunity to today see the way that the devil uses to tempt us so that as we watch the way Christ counteracts it, it will be able to empower us to get victory in those areas. So the first one we see here, let's start in verse number one. Then Jesus was led away by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse two, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I've always thought that's funny that he'd say he was hungry, like, duh, I mean, 40 days and 40 nights, you're not hungry, you're starving. And that's actually what that word means. That word hungry in the Greek means at a point of starvation. Now, I realize that most of us, well, let me ask the question, has anyone here ever fasted for 40 days? Raise your hand. Okay, you have, wow, Martin, way to go. It is, it is possible, because you're going to see in the scriptures, there's two different individuals who did fast for 40 days, and that was Moses and also Elijah, Deuteronomy 9, 9, and 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 8. And, and fasting is hard, 40 days. Now, if you go 40 days, I read all the different physical things that happen at different points in your, uh, in your fasting. Jesus was literally had to have been just going by vapors when it came to his energy. I fasted some in my life, some for medical reasons. You know, you're going to take tests, you got to stop eating for a period of time. And I've done a few, I've also do it on a, on a, a spiritual basis. I've only done it for a couple days, though. 
I know how I feel after a couple days. I can't imagine after 40 days. I can't imagine the way it would not only mess with your body, but mess with your mind and your spirit. It was this holistic attack that was really taking place. And it doesn't tell us in the scriptures if this was Christ's way of putting him in that situation so that when the temptation came, he could show to us that even at our weakest, at our most def easily defeated time, that we can still conquer the temptations of the evil one. I'm not sure, but it certainly seems that it would be, that, that would be part of the premise of why he did this. It's interesting here that after he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, but also, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, what did, what did the devil go after? The deity of Christ. He starts to whittle away at that, which you're gonna kind of see here. What he's continuing to try to do is get Jesus to flex his divinity muscles by saying, hey, if you're really Christ, now, those are kind of like those, those uh, daunting, challenging words. When somebody questions something like, well, if you're really strong enough, why don't you lift that up? Oh, I'll show you. If we had a bunch of little kids in here and we asked them some crazy things to do, hey, you know what? If you think you can fly, why don't you come up here and jump off this and show us? I guarantee you we'd have volunteers. <laughs> and and that, that challenge concept, lay the gauntlet down, I'll show you, and that's what the devil is trying to lure Jesus Christ into with this lust of the flesh. He's attacking the fact that he's at a, a very vulnerable spot in his flesh when it comes to the, the lack of food, but then he immediately goes after his deity, his power. Are you really Jesus? Are you really, he uses the word Christ? Are you really the one with authority? And he attacks him with that lust of the flesh. Now we're gonna, kind of go to the, we're going to jump in a little bit because we're going to, I want to lay out all these temptations and we're going to go back about how Jesus battles them. So let's go down to verse five to the pride of life. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone which, by the way, was taken from Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. So again, the devil ratchets up his game, and he goes after the pride of life. Hey, Jesus, come with me. And he brought him up. Usually the religious buildings and the palaces of the day were the time, the places, uh, uh, structurally, architecturally, were with the, the tallest buildings of the time. So he brings Jesus up to the very top of this temple, the temp pinnacle there, it says, and he can see kind of over the city there. Some historians think that it was actually a, a temple that was a somewhat on an incline and that there was a retaining wall that was there and it was, could have been 450, 500 feet tall. See, so he's up quite a ways. And he goes, okay, and you see what he says again? If you're Christ, he keeps up beating on that dog. If you're Christ, then you, you, you can jump off here because the Bible says that the angels are gonna come get you. And now he doesn't only go after his deity, but he goes after this. If God really loves you, he's gonna provide a way of rescue. So why don't you show me, Jesus, how much your God loves you, your Father loves you, and throw yourself off here. Because if God really loves you, he's gonna catch you. He's gonna snatch you up. And the devil 
knows, again, you watch his game plan. Now, if we pull back for a minute, the devil is going to constantly try to go after us when it comes to the senses of our life. He knows to attack us when our blood sugar level is low, so to speak, when it's a long day and we're tired, when we've already had a real battle with the kids or I about you know, got, got to the point where I quit my job with my boss, my car breaks down, my sub pump breaks at the worst time possible. I have a huge fight with my spouse. My bank account is in the negative numbers. Those times when you be, feel so depleted physically and the devil loves to come along and really say to us, Does, is God really God? Because if he is, how come he's leaving you out here to hang? And he follows that up with, if God's really God, to say, if God's really God, then does God really love you? So he wants us to challenge the deity of Christ. Because if we don't believe that God is God, then we have no foundation. He's either God or not. So if you're going to whittle away at the deity, and then if you can go after the fact that if God really loved you, then how come you're doing this? And we know that even those in the Bible struggle with that. Remember David? God, how come you let the unrighteous prosper? How come you have the same reign for the unrighteous and you hold it off for the righteous? What's up, God? And you and I can list hundreds of families <clears throat> who seem to completely reject God, have no interest in God, maybe even curse God. And they seem to have the best families and the nicest cars and the fattest bank accounts and the best health. Why? Because the devil already has them. He doesn't need to do anything. In fact, the devil loves to flaunt those in the eyes of the folks that are the children of God. Well, if you would just do this, because I love you and God doesn't. And he goes after that, does God really love you? I've struggled with that in many times in my life. God, if you love me, then why? Why did you allow this to happen in my life? Why did you not do this in my life? Lord, you know how broken I feel right now. You know how worn out I feel right now. If you really love me, God, why not? And I've realized as I've studied the scriptures that God is crying right there with me, but he has a purpose either that he might be honored and glorified or that I might be able to become more like him as a result of it. But I still don't like going through it. And that pride of life, as Satan then took the scriptures and said, if God really loves you, and he tries to manipulate the scriptures. By the way, the devil loves to kind of twist scriptures. He loves to have a verse be used out of context. He loves to be able to try to get you to have faults. That's why there's so much falseness out there, because it is so easy to build things on one verse. And I'm telling you, to understand Scripture, and you read a verse, first of all, if it doesn't seem to make sense, within the context of the whole of Scripture, then I encourage you to look at the other verses that would pertain to that same topic. The other thing is, read the context of the verse. Read what's before it and after it. Consider the historical aspects of what's taking place there. Those all are going to help you understand properly the word of God and how it should be carried out in our lives. But know this, the devil will always try to. The best way we can defeat that is know the word more. 
The devil doesn't want people in the word of God because he knows what the word of God does is it transforms your life and gives you the ability to fight against the evil one. So he wants to keep you out of it. He wants to make you so busy. And well, this isn't exciting. And Lord, I have a hard time understanding this. Whatever he can possibly do, he's gonna try to keep you out of being in the word of God. But I'll tell you this. I plead with you. Just keep at it. Tomorrow's a new day. Pick it up again and pick it up again, and pick it up again, and read three verses, and then read five verses, and then read eight verses, and then listen to it. Use an online version or a way to listen to it. They have visual ones now that you can watch. Get the word in you. Find those creative ways to do it, but keep getting the word of God in you. It will change you, but it takes time. It takes years, but I guarantee you, the power you'll receive as you continue to know the word of God. You'll be much more perceptive when the devil tries to misuse scripture in our lives. Then we see as we drop down to verse number eight, the lust of the eyes. Verse eight. Again, the devil took him into a very high mountain, mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Now, let's get, again, context. Jesus is already starving to death, literally. And he brings him to this highest mountain. He didn't just snap his fingers and they were there, probably. He's already depleted and he's going, hey, take a walk with me, Jesus. But not a simple walk. We're going to go up this mountain here, trudging one step at a time as the last vestiges of the strength that you have leave your body. Until you finally get to this point, exhausted, and you look out, and then the devil whispers to him about the kingdoms of the world. Now remember, God has given Satan temporary control of the earth. We see that in John 16, 11, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and many others. So Satan, as he sits there, you can almost see him go into that whisper. Hey, Jesus, pretty tired now, aren't you? Man, that, that, that bread, that would taste really good right now. And, and let me tell you about these, these nations out here. Let me, no, you, you, Jesus, you can rule it all. Now, we all might in our human minds say, but he knew that he ultimately is gonna win. But remember what had to take place from Jesus here to Jesus ruling again, the cross. The humanity to know my stomach is killing me. My limbs are screaming out. My muscles are literally tightening in on themselves for lack of uh, of the nutrients that they need. I am in physical agony. And to know that this is bad, but dying on the cross will be worse. To have somebody take a whip and to rip into the shredding of your, 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 your body so your organs come out and the thorns crushed onto his head and punched in the face, and ridiculed. And the Bible says when he was dropped to the ground with the cross that he didn't even look like a man anymore. Jesus knew that was coming. And it would have been so easy as he's in the pangs of starvation or leading to starvation to go, it's going to even get worse. And look at everything I can have now and pass this, short-circuit this, or shortcut it but he didn't. He didn't. 
But in his most vulnerable, in his weakest, he showed us that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how intense the temptations are, that we can, through the power of God, overcome any temptation that's laid out in front of us. The Bible says that. And the lust of the eyes as he looked out around there, we need to always keep this in mind. Satan will constantly tempt us with the temporal. Satan will constantly tempt us with the temporal. Why? Because he wants us to forget the eternal. He'll tempt us with the temporal because he wants us to forget the eternal. Just throw in the towel now. You're going to heaven anyways. But it's not just about going to heaven. It's the way that we live life in obedience and following Jesus Christ on this earth. Just bow down and worship me. I'm so glad that Christ let us see Satan's battle plan. And and I encourage all of you to realize that when you're at your weakest, that God gives you resources. He puts them around you in the form of many different things, the word of God, the body of believers, the spirit of God living in our life. They're there for us to have access. But you get to see from here a glimpse into the battle plan that the devil uses, and he still uses the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. It's amazing to me how much my eyes can try to dictate what I want. I see it, and I want it. Many times it is completely unreachable, but the desire alone can drive me in intense ways. And that's why God wanted us to get the victory. So the Lord gave us his plan for victory. And he wanted us to know, Christ did, how we can handle the challenges that take place. So go with me back up to chapter four, but drop down to verse number four. He was tempted to turn the loaves of bread, loaves into bread, and what happened? But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first thing we will always see that Jesus did in every single one of these situations is he quoted scripture. And again, we need to be able to have the scriptures handy in our life. Now you go, John, how do I know all of it? I'm telling you, first of all, if you keep reading, you're gonna remember more than you think. Don't worry about knowing the chapter and the verse all the time. It's great, so you can find it better, but just know the word, the power that's in it. But when you know you struggle in certain areas, then get verses in particular about that that you can have handy when the evil one comes at you. If you know you struggle with integrity or with your temper or you struggle in in purity or whatever it is, then get verses that will specifically and distinctly help you in those areas. And then when the devil comes, don't go sit there and throw your hands up and go, what am I supposed to do? I guess I just have to cave. Absolutely not. Jesus Christ showed you. The first thing you need to do is quote scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4, 13. And you can go on. I have what I call power packs of verses. And they're verses I pull out, because I've shared with you, you many times. Around two in the morning, there's times I wake up, and that's when the anxiety and the crazy things that the devil uses gets in my mind. And if I shared some of them with you, you all would think I belong in a loony bin somewhere. Why would you even think that? Yeah, me and my mind at 2 a.m. are not always good. But you know what God's taught me? The scriptures can counteract and fight against the evil one. And I claim his promises. I quote his scriptures so I can get the victory because Christ has given it to us. And Jesus, when he was tempted, and when you're tempted, go to scripture. 
Don't watch TV. Don't Google it. Go to the scriptures. That's what's going to help give you the power to beat this. This is the word of life, the Bible, that uh, Jesus tells us through the Bible. So to be able to use that, he quoted scripture. We see that in verse number four. And then if you drop down in verse number seven, how does Jesus answer when he's tempted to jump off the side of the, uh, the pinnacle of the temple? And Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And again, the devil took him to another spot. So what does he again? He goes back and he reminds him of another passage of scripture. You're not supposed to be taking and, and testing Christ in that. Then we see this. In verse number nine, um, verse number 10, excuse me, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Every single time he quotes scripture. The other thing that we see is he called out lies with truth. He called out lies with truth. He said, the second one again, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He tried to misquote scripture, and Jesus says, no, this is what that really means. And this is how you're breaking that. And the devil loves to try to throw lies at us. And Jesus had no issue telling the devil when he was lying. God does love you. God is there for you. God will not leave you. God will go before you. God will sustain and support you. He is your rock. He is your bulwark. He is your comforter. He is your encourager. He is your confronter. Those are promises. And the devil's gonna try to take every one of those and go, God doesn't love you. And God's not there for you. And God doesn't have your best in, in mind. And God doesn't care about you. And God doesn't want you to succeed. And God isn't gonna hold you up when you're falling down. And God's not gonna reach out. And God's just using you. And the lies will spew out. And if we don't confront those lies with truth, we will start to believe them. And we go back to, the, to Adam and Eve where he used the same battle tactic. And he went to Eve and he said, isn't it true that God said that you can't eat this? And what did Eve say? Yeah, we can't even touch it. Is that what God said? Absolutely not. But what happened? She got sucked right into it. She started to believe the lies of the evil one. God is holding out on you, Eve. God could give you so much more, but because he doesn't love you, because he's not really the God he says he is, you need to listen to me because I'm the one that's got your best interest in mind. Well, we know where that led. But he's using the same battle plan over and over. So my fellow believer do not sit here and be defeated when the plan has been laid out. We know what he's going to do. And then Christ lays out for us how we can battle it. We don't have to live defeated. God doesn't intend for us to live defeated. Feelings will fail, but truth will not. Do not live your Christian life based on feelings. Well, I feel like the devil might be right in this area. Wrong answer. Feelings will oftentimes lead you astray. And I think the devil, especially in the culture that we live that is so feelings-oriented that it's seeped into the church where we make these decisions based on feelings. And God's given us feelings, by the way. And they're a wonderful thing underneath the authority of Scripture. Feelings will fail, but truth does not. Confront his lies by knowing the truth. And having people in your life who can speak truth into you. 
We were not designed to be doing this on our own. Christian, if you're living a purposeful, isolated life, you are in a dangerous spot. That's not what the scriptures tell us to live out with. So we see in the very last verse in this section, we're gonna not be quite done, but we see in the last verse in this section, in verse number, I flipped the page, I gotta go back now. Verse number 11, the Bible says this, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That word ministering talks about taking care of his needs. I'm sure he got a meal. (laughs) He got in comfort and encouragement. They ministered. And my brother and sister, as you go through the temptations of life, remember that you have God's spirit in you always. But again, remember those other things, the promises of the word and the people that can be around you to help you through your difficulties. It's a lie of the devil that our culture is bought into that we can do this on our own. So what did he do after he was tempted? What did he do after he was tempted? As soon as the devil leaves, God sends his angels to encourage and feed him, but the story isn't over. Jesus doesn't rest on his laurels, but goes right out and keeps impacting people. Now, this was a great spiritual victory. The devil went fleeing. Jesus went through it as conqueror. Jesus unveiled the devil's plan so that we can know them ahead of time now to combat him. And on top of it, he gave us steps to be able to deal with the devil so we can defeat him. This is an exciting time. And I'm telling you, after some of your greatest spiritual victories can become some of your worst spiritual defeats. As a youth pastor, I used to run lots of different missions trips. And we saw God do some amazing things, folks. I mean, some of the stories give me goosebumps to think of them today. If you want to hear them sometime, I'll be happy to tell them to you. But you come back from these missions trips and you saw God work and you, you were together. You were sharpening each other and you were the word together and you're serving God together. I mean, the group that's down in North Carolina the, the, from our church, the uh, eight or so that went, man, they're gonna come back even more unified. They're gonna have great God stories to tell. It's awesome. Those kinds of things are amazing. But you know what I always warned my teenagers with on the way back on the bus or the plane or wherever we're at? I always had one of these talks And they could probably tell you exactly what the words are. And I used to always say, hey, guys, this has been a great week. And we would go around, they would share some of the great God stories. I said, but I got to warn you. As soon as your foot steps off of this airplane, in fact, maybe on this airplane, on this trip back on this bus, the devil's going to be right here waiting to try to get you distracted and forget everything that God just did over the past week, few days, whatever it was. So be aware of that. Folks, as a church, God has decided to be amazingly gracious to us. 70% of all churches that are planted in the first five years close their door, 70%. We are at a, just celebrate our 10-year mark because God graciously allowed us to do that. The percentage of churches that plant churches is under 10%. And God's allowed us to see a church get planted. That has nothing to do with any of the men or women here. It's because God's allowed us to see that happen. But as we, as Ray had mentioned, are watching this church get off on the ground and get established in Boyertown and start to see the excitement of what God's doing there, he is gonna hit us, the devil, with both barrels. And if you're the devil, how do you destroy the mother church so that it can't support the daughter? How do you destroy the mother church so it isn't unified to see God plant even more churches? You destroy the unity within. Question God, believe lies, misuse scripture. So we need to be very vigilant, folks. 
Now, I'm not sensing that there's any big rifts or anything like that, but as your pastor, I gotta warn you, they're gonna come at your families and your physical health, your financial health, your relational health. He's gonna try to get you disconnected from people. He's gonna try to get you disconnected from himself. That's the way the devil does things. We have experienced some amazing, wonderful, powerful things here at UPCC, and I believe God has much more in store. But we will fight our way to see those things happen with the power of God. So when we celebrate 10 years, although it was an amazing celebration, that's just the beginning. Be aware of the attacks of the evil one. So what do we see Jesus did? In chapter four and verse number 12, it says, now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So he proceeded, but with caution. John, why was John arrested? Because people started to say, hey, yo, 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 religious leaders were going, this John guy is getting way too big of a following. People are actually starting to listen to him. They're leaving the religious centers that we've established. We're losing our authority. That's affecting our pocketbooks. That's affecting our political and religious power that we have. We gotta do something about this. So they went after John. And Jesus knew that fervor that was up there, this kind of the way they were riling up the people. So he proceeded, but he did it with caution. We need to know that sometimes we need to proceed with caution. As I said, after our greatest victories can come our greatest defeats. It's easy to get off guard. And Jesus here shows us by his actions that we need to proceed, but do so with caution. The second thing we see is he fulfilled scripture. It says in verse 13, in leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that so that that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. Basically what it's saying is Jesus was gonna be coming. And Jesus fulfilled scripture over and over again. You're gonna see that happen throughout all of the gospels where you'll say he fulfilled this scripture. Now, we aren't called to fulfill scripture the way Jesus was called to fulfill scripture, but we are called to obey scripture. Jesus fulfilled scripture because he was obeying what his father's plan had been laid out for him. And in fulfilling scripture, he was able to show the Jews, hey, see, this really is the Messiah. He's fulfilling the scriptures from the Old Testament. And folks, our calling is, are we willing to fulfill scripture when it comes to being obedient to the things that God lays out for us in our lives that we should be doing? How are we doing at obeying them? And then we see in verse number 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached repentance. As we wrap up our time today, we see that Jesus also began to share the gospel. Repentance Repentance is the first step in salvation. I have to know that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and be willing to turn from that. That's repentance. I need need of a savior who can save me from the sinful flesh that I live in so I can be redeemed. And then once I have been redeemed, I need to be the one sharing that same message with others intentionally in our lives. He preached repentance, and we are called to do the same. So let's review. God tests and Satan tempts. Embrace the tempting with Christ. 
Embrace the tempting, John, yes, embrace it, because it's going to come. So be aware it's going to come. Look at the Old Testament, when the battle plans were laid out. They knew that battle was going to come, but they didn't sit there and go, boy, I really hope we can beat these guys. Even the New Testament says, hey, if you're going to go out and fight a battle, the first thing that you need to do is see if you can actually beat the enemy. And if you don't have enough army to beat the enemy, then you better be bringing some gifts and go, hey, guys, thanks for coming into our land. Here's a few gifts. How about you leave us alone? Or, hey, we got more than enough. Let's go and we'll beat them. That temptation is going to come, folks. In fact, if I were to ask you three areas that you've been tempted in this week, I bet most of you could say three right off the top of your head. So embrace it. It's going to come. But put the battle plan that Christ laid out into action. Get in the word. Confront the lies with truth. Christ showed us the way to victory. So embrace his plan. Don't think you can leave here and that you are the exception. Well, I know I, know I should probably get in the word, but you know, my job's very pressure, pressure-oriented. I know the Bible would probably help me in this, but that's why I have Pastor John for. I'll just text him. He can give me a verse if I need it, which you can, but embrace God's plan. Don't think that there's some miracle plan you're going to find in a cave in a treasure chest that's like, oh, wow, if I just say this magic word, the devil will go away. God laid out the plan. Christ laid out the plan for us, so embrace his plan. And then last we see Christ follow the path God had for him. What did he do? He left there and he proceeded with caution. He fulfilled scripture. He preached repentance and embraced his path. Proceed with caution. When the victories come as a church, we've been on a point of seeing some amazing victories. Let's proceed with caution, but proceed. Let's go be obedient to scripture and let's be sharing the gospel. That's his path for us day by day. And by the way, part of... Sharing the gospel is also making disciples for him. So today we've taught you about temptation. We shared with you how the Lord had his son deal with it, and I hope that we will take those principles and that we could apply them in our own lives. My challenge always to you is this. Please do not leave here and tuck away whatever you have note-wise or walk out the door thinking purely about what lunch is all about and forget what we heard Dig back into Matthew. Take one principle from today and apply it to your life in a real way so that you too can see the victory that God has for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for all that you've laid out for us. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that's never taken that step to acknowledge you as Savior, that today could be their spiritual birthday. I pray, Father, they'd come up front here and let us have uh, someone take the word of God and just walk them through that. I pray, Lord, that you would just help those that are Christians here that are feeling defeated, that they would go and uh, embrace your plan, Lord, and lay it out so that they can get the victory that you intend for them. But also, Lord, help us be aware of the path that the devil uses, the plan he has. Lord, it's the same plan he used in Adam and Eve's time. He used it on Jesus and several other lords. So help us to be aware of the battle of the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the lust of the flesh and to be able to battle that in our own lives as well. Using your steps, we ask in your precious name. Amen.